It was a time when pro wrestling was a pop culture phenomenon. Talk about your songs, talk about John 316. Austin 316 says I just whipped your ass. Pay-per-view quality matches live on free TV every Monday night. Monday, July 6th, 1998. Goldberg captured the gold. Back at the battle between WCW Monday Nitro and WWF Monday Night Raw. It's me, Austin! Oh, son of a bitch! What? It's me, Austin! It was me all along, Austin! This is Reliving the War with Simon Tackler and Nims Azul. You can call this the new world order of wrestling, brother! Welcome everyone to another edition of Reliving the War. My name is Nims Azor, joined always by my co-host Simon Tackler. This is an exciting one. It is another WCW episode. And as with every WCW episode, Simon, we like to get in a third man, don't we? And this time around, well, how do I put this? I always, the last time we watched WCW with our buddy Owen, it was almost more fun for us watching him react to WCW than it was for him talking about WCW, don't you reckon? Yeah, I don't know about the uh, the timing, if we're doing this on purpose or if it's just a coincidence, but out of the two WCW shows that we've subjected our friend Owen to, man, I don't envy him as someone going in raw because first it was Hogwild and now it was World War Three. two of the gimmickiest pay-per-views of the year for WCW and arguably two of the worst, maybe we'll get into that. But <laughs> Owen, I'm surprised you've decided to join us for this one. Hello friends. Um, yes. I mean, I like coming on this show anyway, because it means I'm watching wrestling. I have never seen before. And for, um, <laughs> for those of you playing at home, um, who wondered how old I was when this show happened, uh, I was one year, two months, and two and a half weeks old when this, this pay-per-view I, happened on the 24th of November, 1996. This is what I always love every time that we do get you on board because, like, for us, Simon and I, we're still sort of, you know, we're at, the, we're at the age where we can, you know, ride our bikes on our own and go to a video store and actually rent these pay-per-views, and you are just, like, you know, barely a toddler kind Yeah, of, I couldn't even that. feed myself at this point, so... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I still can't. I'm 25, so <laughs> things don't change. But look, let's get straight into it because as Simon so graciously said, this is probably, look, I don't want to say it's the worst WCW pay-per-view because there's, trust me, there's a lot, lot worse out there. But uh, the tagline of World War Three is WCW goes nuclear, which makes zero sense, <laughs> but that doesn't stop them at all. <laughs> now, it's a weird one too because like, so first off, Obviously, Owen, like you've watched a lot of wrestling in your time. You've got, um, you've gone to the veritable buffet of wrestling. I mean, you've seen everything from hardcore Japanese death matches to, you know, WWE uh, barn burners you know, that shock you to yeah. some incredible um, Japanese stuff. What we're saying, and even local things here in Melbourne and Australia and stuff like that. So when you heard of the concept of World War Three. What the hell was your first impression? Yeah, I don't know. I think I think I repeat myself a lot in this, like in my. It will get there at the end when we get to the main event. But I think I've written like four times. I'm just confused, <laughs> and that was my initial reaction. I'm like, oh, okay, because I mean, um, 
as Simon so graciously um, spoke about last night on his Twitch stream, um, was that like you get two rings with war, with war games, which is fine, and then makes sense, you, add a, you know. Yeah. yeah, you know, and then you add, which is surrounded by a cage, which is pretty impressive. But then you have rings in a triangular format, not even lined up next to each other. They're in a triangular <laughs> formation. And what popped me as well, and I've written this down for the first match, if we care to segue, mm-hmm. um, the commentators aren't facing the right ring for like half the show, <laughs> which popped me so much. So that's I was just confused for a lot of this show watching it. Simon, what did you think when we when you saw the intro? Because we've been we always pay out on WCW's um, like oh. their like their intros and whatnot. So, what did you think when you start off with some incredibly tinny audio in the intro <laughs> and a map of the world that doesn't include Tasmania or New Zealand? Wow, I didn't even notice the uh, geographical notice mistakes there. But I will say, my note was even when WCW tries to make a good video, it can't touch WWE. This was a higher level of WCW intro video, but compared to last month's Buried Alive video for the WWE, this feels like a high school project in comparison. <laughs> like, this was garbage. It, it reminded me of... I, I, I thought it was like someone in the editing suite at, w, at, at, when, at, the, at the network when they've been putting this online going, oh, there's, they did. They they didn't put the um. They didn't put the bloody the intro onto the tape. Let's get the TV ad that we ran on the pay per view cable network and tack it onto the front. Because I was really confused. I'm like, that I thought it was a like great, a TV ad. That is a great it felt, point. It felt like a like, TV ad, not an opening. And this is just showing. Maybe not. I'm possibly showing my age, even though I'm not that old. But a lot of the like back a, a lot of the stuff I remember watching of when me and my brother were, were watching. Um, like old mid nineties Australian touring cars were in like 97, 98, 99 was taped like off late night TV. And the way this intro for, um, for world war three was, was exactly like that, including the shitty VHS ripped audio. Yeah. I'm like, am I just watching something off channel seven? <laughs> Yeah, you half expected. Uh, well, you know, it, funnily enough, you mentioned that because uh, Dusty Rhodes is wearing a red coat. So, <laughs> so yes, yes. So he's like doing Bruce McAvaney did at Bathurst in like 1988 <laughs> or whenever he was there. <laughs> but yeah, look, here's the this is the fun part too because while we're the first impressions of World War Three, a little bit strange. Owen, oh, you would have thought. Hang on a second. You got the opening match. Ultimo Dragon build once again as Ultimate oh. Dragon versus Rey Mysterio for the not for the WCW Cruiserweight no. Championship, but for the J Crown Championship. You would have thought, hey, you know what? This this could be all right. This is salvageable. I was like, when they announced that match, I'm like, I'm like, and have Nims and Simon just assumed I'm their Mike Tanay and I come in when the <laughs> Japanese guys are wrestling? Because man, this is my bread and butter. So, do you guys know what the J Crown was? Explain it for people who don't know, because I would imagine even fans who grew up in this era don't really know unless they went deep into their research. Okay, Especially considering the fact that WCW treated everything like, for example, when Conan would have the AAA championship, one, he'd never bring it to the ring, but that I would say, oh, he's the Mexican world heavyweight champion, which made no sense. (laughs) So the J-Crown was a title that was created by by New Japan, um, in 1996, um, 
and it was to unify eight junior heavyweight championships from around the world, including Michinoku Pro, WWF, War, NWA, and New Japan Pro Wrestling. Um, and it only lasted for a year, a year and a half, not even, and it had four champions overall. Um, the first champion was Great Sasuke. Then Ultimo Dragon won off him, and that's when that was during this title defense when this happened. And then it went to Jushin Thunder Liger, Al Samurai, and then she, the last champion was Shinjiro Itani, who was a god. But um, that's a different rant for another day. So it only really lasted, yeah, the, they kind of became defunct in uh, 1997. So hmm. it lasted for about a for about of a blink of an eye, but, um, you know, had some pretty good champions. So it was just kind of like this thing of hope to trying to get like a lot of people to wrestle on different promotions, kind of doing it that way. So, and look, Ray brought his A game here because he was in his little Spider Man get up. Uh, it was weird seeing Sonny Ono there because um, <laughs> it just seemed like an odd parent because Ultimo Dragon's, you know, pretty straightforward and sort of speaks for himself. But uh, it was a couple of things that I took uh, to note from this. It was incredibly weird where the commentary table was, as you mentioned, Owen. But uh, this was also. A complete disregard for human life sort of match because these guys were just doing bumps left, right, and center. There was a running power bomb, things like that. There's tombstones to the outside. It is yeah. just your full, your full everything that you've put in your creator wrestler. All the high flying moves, just put it all out there. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I I wrote here. Um, it was towards the end of the match. Um. Ray did like a double spring springboard moonsault was amazing. Missed all of it, but it was still sick. And that, and that plays into what you just said. They were just bumping for bump's sake. Yeah. There was a bit when they were on the outside doing moves, like going crazy. And it was the weird contrast of the two main points we spoke about. These guys are going crazy wrestling like a video game right behind the announcers <laughs> and it's like a horror movie and it was really funny they admitted it i think dusty said to bobby heenan he's like brain look out they're right behind you and these guys <laughs> are like flipping and pile driving into the the safety barrier while the commentators are literally facing the opposite way i think at was, that it, point you might as well swing the chair around and just call it live you know there was even a funny one, a funny line too, where Dusty Rhodes sees himself in the monitor and he's just like, <laughs> who's that good looking bloke that good looking fella in a red jacket? And you're just like, oh my God, Dusty, just what is going on there? But look, at the match actually, you, look, you can't ever, uh, there's a very rare instance that a WCW Cruiserweight match in 1996 onwards, uh, between 1996 and 1998, lets you down. And Ray Ultimo Dragon, Put out all the stops, I reckon. Yeah, this match was sick. Um, there was, yeah, Ray did a springboard right after he did the double, the double springboard moonsault. He, he springboarded like 10 times. It was a bit of overkill. But he did a springboard drop kick that was amazing. And then he did a spike runner, which just completely obliterated Ultimo. Like, that was pretty much just, I, all I wrote was spike runner was cooked. Um, <laughs> and but then, like, the slingshot powerbomb, was is like my favorite move in wrestling ever, and Ultimo doing it as a as like a big guy like move as a as a junior was sick, and as the finish was even better. Yeah, John, what did you think of uh, some of these ones? This was really good. Um, what was interesting last time we had Owen on the show, these guys wrestled like this was a rematch from Hog Wild, but this time I think it had a more receptive crowd. 
It wasn't yes. a bunch of hillbilly bikers at Sturgis who probably all have coronavirus now. This was in <laughs> front of a real wrestling <laughs> audience. And they loved it, but especially the ending. Um, I can't even explain all the moves they did. Owen, you're right. Ray did a springboard dropkick, which, you know, ahead of its time. He also did that great dumb lucha thing that doesn't make logical sense but looks good where he does a cartwheel and then jumps into- backwards onto the dude's shoulders, mm. then spins it into the Hurricane Rana. Like, Rey Mysterio in his prime, you forget, was just mind-blowing. And that was when he cracked. That, that was when he spiked yeah. um, Dragon on the floor. And what I assumed cracked his skull open and his brain just oozed out on the floor because he just just he just went like face plant it was amazing yeah, yeah and no, um, the other no. note i had doing a tombstone to the outside of the ring <laughs> in the first match they would have been fired in the wwe they would have got to the back and taker would have been like you're out <laughs> you know? burn the card baby <laughs> but yeah so look uh, ultimo dragon ended up getting the win there in what could only be described as a mortal combat style match with uh, <laughs> as much damage to spines done uh, possible uh, then we move on to our next segment we've often said simon that mean gene oak is the MVP when it comes to WCW pay-per-views of this era. And this is no exception because he is plugging WCW's website, which is hilarious since it's WCWWrestling.com. So it's Thank World you. Championship Wrestling Wrestling.com. <laughs> that was the same note I had. And also my first note of this segment was in, ca- was in all caps going, hell yeah, mean gene. But yes, all I have is WCWWrestling.com question mark because it was like, uh-huh. Very strange. Only WCW would register that and not see the logic flaw. Um, What else is great, (laughs) though? We've got Mean Gene back. For anyone who missed it, he was away the previous month and we looked it up. He was playing hardball with WCW. He claimed he got an offer from WWE at the time, took one pay-per-view off, and then they wanted him back and they offered him the big bucks. So he returned here, does all the segments, and in his contract... He worked out that for the hotline, which is always plugging, he got a cut of the um, the call price. So that really was Mean Gene's bread and butter. And yeah, this was awesome. Also, a question for Owen, because you're the youngest. Did you yes. know in 1996, websites had limited slots? I don't know. Did you notice Mean Gene said 8,000 slots available and then websites would just shut down? I did. I, I I did hear him say that, and I questioned it. But no, thank you. So that was an actual thing. So like, obviously, not like it is these days, where millions and billions of people can be on the same website at one time. Yep, eight thousand limited seats available. Very. That's weird. crazy. It um, was one, it was a very strange time because I still remember when you you'd go to a website. Sometimes it'd have a little counter at the bottom. It looks like it's like a little dominant that shows <laughs> how many visits it had. So wild. it was a, it's such an odd time. But yeah, wcwwrestling.com, obviously a hotbed of information. Obvi- and maybe they were looking to branch out. Maybe they're going to do like you know WCW cooking, WCW <laughs> <laughs> other brands. They were going to franchise it out. But uh, yeah, the web. Every time a website plug comes on, it just makes me like smile so much. My um my two favorite things about this promo was DDP just stumbling over his words. Like he just didn't get a sentence out properly. Half the time he just said like a said a sentence and just kind of started again or stopped and just didn't even bother going forward. And then my second my favorite my, my second favorite thing was at the end of the promo when Mean Gene was just like, Did he answer my question? 
I don't think so. And then yeah. cut to the next the, to the next match. <laughs> Pop me so much. Would you say that Simon? We've seen a lot of DDP in uh, in WCW. Like from the first time we watched him at Bash of the Beach to what he is now, he's slowly becoming the DDP that we know and love. Yeah, he's so close here. Him getting a, a solo promo backstage with Mean Gene, this was a sign of his hard work paying off, and he's starting to drop all the gimmicks. No more cigar, no more sunglasses, no more hat, no more this and that. Like, this is almost fully formed DDP. The only one old remnant left in this promo is his good God, which is like <laughs> the last old gimmick he would drop, and then it was just straight up DDP. Although... DDP here in 96, and it was a thing DDP would always do, using insider terms in his promo, like he calls the diamond cutter the hottest finish on the planet. It's like, yeah, all right, fucking, you know, like hottest finish, and he's a wrestler. I thought that was weird. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's slowly like, you know, the curtain's coming back just that smidge. But so Mm. we go into our next match here, and if you, like, so Owen, you'd be thinking, great, we started off with ultimate. My dragon versus uh, versus Rey Mysterio for the J Crown. What could possibly follow that up? And next thing you know, you get Nick Patrick versus Chris Jericho with Teddy Long, who looks more and more like Uncle Phil from the Fresh Prince of Bel Air in this era. <laughs> Seriously, my first note is Teddy Long is massive, but <laughs> but this um, is a one hand tied behind your back match against Chris Jericho. My my first note of this is Jericho's dub music is the best. <laughs> like his dub music on this show was amazing. It was no, that super was his like, real music at the time. Wait, was that his actual music? That was his babyface music. It was terrible. Oh, so this was pre even flow ripoff. Music. Yeah, that's that's the one they dub over. Break the walls down. But in this era, oh, what you're seeing now, this was this real. Is like, this is like full like Doc End style mid eighties like power glam. I'm like, yes, <laughs> yeah. It's it's background music for WCW versus the world video game sort of stuff. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. um, like, I I wrote a, I wrote two notes of this match, and about halfway in was how did I get eight minutes out of this? And then my second note was I take back my previous statement. This is entertaining as hell. So <laughs> you got to say like yeah, it is actually you're spot on there. Yeah, and this was a great follow-up, though, from what Owen watched at Hogwild, though, because remember at Hogwild, in the tag match with Luger and Sting and the Outsiders, Owen, you were legitimately Uh, confused. You thought Nick Patrick botched a call as a ref, but we were like, no, they're planting seeds because he's actually a heel. Now you see the payoff. Nick Patrick was an amazing performer, and seeing him in this match, like we've all seen the gifts of Nick Patrick taking funny bumps. This is eight minutes of it. Like, Nick Patrick yeah. <laughs> is amazing. And what I didn't know, I feel like they never really spoke about this, but Nick Patrick is actually second generation. His dad was the assassin Jody Hamilton. Nick Patrick oh. trained to be a wrestler. I was doing some research. He hmm. couldn't pursue his dream of being a wrestler because of injury, so he became a ref who took wrestler bumps, I guess. And, you know, this was his moment to shine. I love the I love the foam neck brace. That was like <laughs> so good. I loved it so much. Also, One he's a big things- dude. He was bigger than Jericho in this. I was shocked by that. Yeah. Did anyone else happen to notice that in the one hand tied behind your back match, the the 
Chris Jericho almost had to hold up the string that was tying him back because it sort of, obviously wasn't the best knot, but he did a pretty good job of doing that. But you're right, though. That kind of explains a little bit too because Nick Patrick's taking like snap mares and all these sorts of stuff. Like he's actually taking wrestling moves and bumping really well. Yeah. Yeah. Also, Teddy Long managing Chris Jericho. I have no memory of this happening. <laughs> And the and the funny thing too is you've actually rewatched a lot of nitros from that era, so yeah, it could be just one of those weird things, eh? <laughs> they tried it. You know what, Jericho? We've mentioned every pay per view we've watched. As good as his matches are, at this point, Jericho was not working as a face. Mm. So I think they thought, what if Teddy Long was with him? But that didn't help. Yeah, it seemed like more people were there. Like if it wasn't, it, more people were there to see Nick Patrick actually get his comeuppance rather than. Like mm. it could have been, it could have been anyone. It could have been one of the, could have been Ice Train or someone there doing <laughs> that match. And I'm pretty sure the crowd would have had the same reaction. But yeah, Jericho gets the win, and that segues us to a a weird little segment uh, because it's Dusty Rhodes rambling about the Hogan and Piper contract signing. Then we cut back to everyone using a, like a, it's one of those. Was it the CompuServe sort of cross where they're in front of the uh, computer and Buff Bagwell is there looking like he's about to set up his OnlyFans uh, website <laughs> <laughs> because he's he's just sitting there and it's just funny as because for some reason there's like and you can jump on board WCW World uh, WCWWrestling.com chat to Buff Bagwell get some get some feedback and he's sitting there so seriously like he's actually engaging with the fans I mean Simon what did when you saw that. And compare it to like, you know, the Steiner uh, clip where they were talking about the hotlines and stuff like that. Did it not just seem like someone realized, oh no, we need to do, we need to do something for the CompuServe thing. I did make note, <laughs> for some reason, Buff not having a match, but being topless just threw me a little. I thought, why is he topless? There are no videos on the internet yet. And he's just sitting <laughs> there intently with his like perfectly like coiffed hair. Like, mm. it just, yeah, it was odd. Buff Bagwell, though, it's weird how Buff pre Buff looks like a different human altogether. Yeah, yeah American when, Males, Marcus Bagwell. Weird. Yeah, when, when, they, when they said Marcus Bagwell, I'm like, it honestly took me a bit. I'm like, that doesn't look like the current coked out like just mess of a human we have as buff bagwell on on cameo so i was very very confused <laughs> him looking at the computer had no idea that in 30 years he'd end up doing that infamous cameo <laughs> no way he knew the other funny thing too when you realize it is um, like buff bagwell uh also for future reference also joined the nwo in the worst possible way because they basically just had a who wants to join the nwo and Marcus Bagwell comes out and he's just like, yep, I'm joining. And that's it. That's how he joins the NWO. He made the best of a bad situation because no low-level guy rose up by joining the NWO like Buff Bagwell did, though. And it'll be fun to chart the rise of Buff. What could have been, if there was one guy who is a what could have been in WCW, it was Buff. And it yeah. just did not he's end well. It's almost second place to Lex Luger, Lex Luger's popularity, which when you now piece everything together, it would make sense why they were put together as a tag team in the dying days of WCW is totally buff. But um, we're getting well ahead of ourselves here. Uh, there was a little Mean Gene and Ric Flair interview. This is always money having these guys here. I popped because Gene just gets all sassy. He's like, sooner or later, you'd get to me. I'm like, 
Um, but all I've written is Ric Flair isn't just on painkillers for that arm injury because <laughs> he was on all sorts of stuff that is probably ingested through the nose. What on earth was he talking about? This was the per- perfect example of a good promo isn't what you say, it's how you say it. None of this made sense and it didn't matter <laughs> at all. Especially when he says, we represent W by God, CW. I pop so big for that. I think he did that because he forgot to say mean by God, Gene. He just said mean Gene. <laughs> and I was like, you forgot the by God. So yeah, he crammed it in somewhere else. <laughs> what I find even more funny is universally all three of us have written in our notes what the hell was Flair on about because that's actually dot point number two in my, in my we'll quickly move on to our next match because it really doesn't need to, talk, to be talked about too much the Giant versus Jeff Jarrett now the Giant I've, my first dot point here is Giant is treating Jarrett like local talent. <laughs> the grudge match nobody wanted to see. For some reason, this was even in the intro package. They're like, grudge match, Giant versus Jeff Jarrett. Why would you do this again? Again, I think we spoke about it last month. They're two heels. One of them's Jeff Jarrett. They want you to cheer Double J. Nobody's cheering Double J. Like, don't make this a thing because it's not going to work. My my first note is hell yeah jingle all the way reference. Give me the turbo man. <laughs> <laughs> but um, and then I wrote I forgot how much I left Jeff Jarrett, which will probably pop Nims because I know he's the number one Jeff Jarrett fan in the entire universe. <laughs> Jeff Jarrett is 100%. a great wrestler. I'll always say he's underrated in the ring, but you can't make him a face. Nobody wants to cheer him. He's so good, but we can't cheer him. It's hard no. because I've also written it's still, still, I'm still not sold on Giant being a main event type guy because you just, I, I just can't get around it. And yes, it's probably only like the third show I've watched in the, like in this era, but I still just can't get around him being a main eventer. Giant's big thing back then was he's a big guy, full stop. That's <laughs> basically it. That is absolutely it. But the, the main sort of, uh, if, the star of this Giant versus Jeff Jarrett grudge match is, of course, Sting. Sting's in the rafters. He comes down and just basically takes out Double J, leaves it, and then leaves. That's about it. And then everyone just keeps saying, Sting's part of the NWO. He's part of the NWO. And uh, then Giant gets the pin, and that's that. What did you think of... Because this is how they slowly build up the Sting Crow character. Oh, and when you saw that, did you think? What did you think, especially with the benefit of hindsight, knowing what um, they were trying to make out of Sting here? I mean, oh, j- just quickly because I do have some notes on that. But all I want to say is there. Well, I have a note here: Giant launching Jeff Jarrett off of him over the top of the ref in one of the kickouts was the best thing I've seen in wrestling in the entire in my twenty years of watching wrestling. But my first note about your question is fake Sting question mark. Mm-hmm. But then I realized it wasn't. But, but I mean, there was one shot. It just looked like it, like, like it looked like fake sting, like so much like fake sting. Um, but yeah, no, I like it. I mean, I, I'm a big sting mark anyway. But I liked it. It probably also doesn't help too that in this era of Sting, he obviously skipped going to the gym but went to a lot of Dunkin' Donuts. So he's kind of got that that little the fake Sting pudge happening. So yes. I can see why he's got no, that. He, he was doing the right thing. He wanted to really throw you off. We know real Sting is jacked. What if real Sting is out of shape now? I think <laughs> he was thinking ahead. We'll give him credit. What about the reaction though for when the camera cuts to, to Sting in the rafters? 
this crowd loses their minds. Like, oh. would they have known they were onto something with this Dark Sting character? Because this was one of the the first pay-per-view you see him on and the crowd mm. goes crazy. Yeah, because I think it was Dream or Brain were like, oh, there's the, what are the crowd looking at? There's somebody in the rafters. And the crowd go full bunter and yeah. just lose their mind. And I'm like, that's a that's like a Road Warriors pop. Yeah, that was was that was that the first time he's come? Was that the first time he came out ever, or did he come out in an episode of Nitro? Because I, I he he showed up on Nitro um, as this character, but this was the first pay per view, so they might not have even expected him because you know he didn't have a scheduled match, so yeah. that was pretty huge. And also, um, this was the time when he first started using the Scorpion Death Drop, so that move was super over. Like when he hits it on Double J, there's a massive reaction too. Yeah. Um, because he said he wanted a move that he could just hit really quickly on multiple people. But a nice touch at this era, he would grab their hair, pull it back, and while he was about to drop them, he would say something to them, sort of like the crow would do in the movies, like he's warning them or telling them what his intentions are, which is such yeah. a good touch. The Sting character at this time, amazing. Um, was Because obviously being a fetus when the, when these shows were on i don't know much about it um was he because he, he didn't wrestle for ages it was like he didn't wrestle for it was almost a year yeah like he just kept Starcade, doing that like he just Starcade kept 97 starcade okay. 1997 is his first match and i think for um for brawl that war games match was actually his last match before he like he still had in-ring appearances where he'd do stalk, uh, scorpion death drops and whatnot but he didn't have a match between fall brawl 96 and starcade 97 is it like a year and a half yeah yeah you're in a couple of months crazy we talk about how how much the nwo era was bloated it was overfilled but one thing that they really got perfectly right was building sting as he went from that surfer dude to really the franchise player of WCW because he was always sort of a bit player prior to this because he was always like second fiddle to the horseman or maybe second fiddle to like he was never the main guy like even Luger got ahead of him but now the NWO is what made him you know the franchise that we sort of see speaking of the NWO this is one of the weirdest segments you'll ever see on pay-per-view because uh, now, people that have watched Monday Night Raw these days know that there's big promo segments during the three hours. But Simon, in all of the time of watching pay-per-views in that era, did you ever see like a segment? Well, not a segment this drawn out and a straight up like, you know, contract signing. This definitely went away. Like I'm trying to recall some old WWF pay-per-views. I feel like on one of the old Raw Rumbles, there's a contract signing or, you know, there's the super pose down with Warrior and um, Rick Rude, but that's still kind of like an in-ring angle. Yeah. This was just a weird promo segment right in the middle of a pay-per-view. And even on the WWF, you know, we've seen um, uh, Brian Pillman just come out for a quick interview, but nothing that goes for half an hour like this did. You know, this was... Yeah, yeah. I don't, I'm surprised Absolutely. they didn't learn the lesson from last month and, you know, limit Roddy Piper on pay-per-view. <laughs> but I love Hot this, Rod, but this is... See, I, I have very um, contrasting opinions because I really liked the contract <laughs> signing 
in the pay-per-view because it gives you a month of TV to build up before the next pay-per-view. That's why I quite enjoyed it because I've signed the contract and I got a month of TV before the next pay-per-view. That's why I really liked it. Also, my first note was Piper's promo was absolute fire. His <laughs> promo was sick. I loved it. It was good, but the bit that threw me, obviously it was a different time, but him not just alluding and making a joke, but literally saying to Eric Bischoff, you're gay was like oh it's 1996 isn't it that's mm. weird also when like when hogan just like lifted up his kilt yeah i was show I was us your hip, brother show <laughs> us your hip, brother show us your hip, brother i i was just i was i got that in my note because i wanted to ask you like because you know you you've we've seen a lot of wrestling and the the face the face off between bad guy and good guy is a wrestling trope from the dawn of time, but never once have they been like, you know, it's always like, Oh yeah, well I'll show you. Well, I'll show you. We'll wait till we get to such and such. Yeah. Well, I'm going to do this. Show me your hip. Like that's, <laughs> re- <laughs> it's so strange, but uh, wrong, wrong hip brother. That, that popped me when he said that. But We've also it- made notes so many times on how old these guys were at the time. Like, because at the time it was like WCW wheelchair wrestling, but in hindsight, they're not that old. They're in their forties. A lot of main event wrestlers, you know, hit their prime in their late thirties. But when you're basing it around a dude's hip surgery, then yeah, you're bringing on that criticism onto yourself. Mm. I must say that I think I said it last time and I pretty much say it probably on a weekly basis just to people who care. Hollywood Hogan really is the best era of Hogan, isn't it? He just straight up is. 100%. And you, I, this is taking into account real American Hogan, the birth of Hulkamania, everything like that. You were spot on. Hollywood Hulk Hogan is the ultimate Hulk Hogan. It's the greatest incarnation of him. It's like, and and it also leads to one of my favorite ever sound bites, which I can't remember where it's from, but the old, oh no, uh, from Bash of the Beach 1996, the, I'm bored, brother. <laughs> <laughs> because there's realism to it, though. It's like, what if you were the real American for, you know, 20 years and then you were like, ah, screw it. Like, this is him. He's still a cartoon. He's just an evil cartoon now. You know, anyone who argues that, oh, Hulk Hogan's overrated or he's not one of the greatest of all time, I say nuts to that because he revolutionized wrestling twice in 20 years Mm -hmm. with two different characters. So he deserves all the credit uh, thrown his way. And this was a a hilarious but off-the-rails segment. Also, six with a handy cam, another great sign of the times. (laughs) Like, how funny, him just videotaping this. My main note in this uh, from this segment, and it actually takes up two lines on my notepad. That's how excited I was. In all caps, I've written spray painting the leg. Yeah, that was a nice because heel move. Does that mean does, does that mean Roddy Piper's hip sur- like hip, like surgically repaired hip is part of the NWO? <laughs> Nothing else, but just his hip. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's yeah, and then what should happen is like the rest of them could be sprayed by like in red spray paint, so that whole part's part of the wolf pack, and he just <laughs> kicks himself. Look, it's an interesting little segment, and but I I've also written down in my notes, this is where WCW go down the anything we do is good sort of path, and they just figure, hey, if we put because it led to more and more rambling promos, and Simon having watched Nitros from that era, it just seemed to be like the ramblings of Mad Men uh, during this time, didn't it? 
Yeah, the Nitro before this, it's worth tracking down and watching for the main event segment. I'm pretty sure it is. It's the Nitro right before this when Bischoff is revealed as a member of the NWO. Uh, Piper comes out for a big segment. He's talking. He calls out Bischoff. And he's like, Bischoff, I was trying to go to your house for a meeting. And Bischoff's still a face. But Piper is the one who pieced it together that Bischoff was really behind the NWO. Then they beat him down. And Bischoff is another guy you would never expect it to work as a heel. But, you know, I think we're not really um, highlighting that. This is one of the first heel Bischoff promos. And he ends up being one of the best on the mic ever, in my opinion, you know, in that non-wrestling sort of role. Bischoff is amazing. And, yeah, this is the start of it. And you're right. It is the start of a lot of rambling promos from all these guys. I think they got overly confident for the next three years. There is a silver lining to all this, though, because uh, in that Nitro that you talk about, also has the other great line that Hulk Hogan has with the, now that everyone knows who's working for, brother. <laughs> <laughs> like, he's just the, like, you're right. Hulk Hogan, Hollywood Hulk Hogan is just the best. But let's get on to our next match, which is the amazing French Canadians, which is Jacques Rougeau. How do you pronounce his last Jacques name? Rougeau. Jacques Rougeau and Carl Houlet. Uh, with Colonel Robert Parker. They're the amazing French Canadians. That's the Quebecers, right. yeah. 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 So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you talk about those jokes of, you know, like what's what's Zat doing in the impact zone? But this is essentially that old joke. The amazing French Canadians uh, up against Harlem Heat, Booker Teens and Stevie Ray with Sister Sherry. A big reaction for Harlem Heat here, but this is a pretty nothing match. Mm, the only silver lining here is that we're finally done with Robert Parker with Harlem Heat and we're finally getting into Harlem Heater's faces because even though their runner's heels was really good, to me, Harlem Heat, from this point on, start hitting their prime, especially Booker T. I think Booker T figuring out that he could make the crowd love him is a game changer. Like, he, he kicks it up a notch. I've written it here. I think I said this last time as well. And... I get weird looks when I say this sometimes, but I stick by it. Harlem Heat will always be my favorite tag team of all time because <laughs> they are so. That's never me like being like a fun, like trying to be funny because I think they're, they're the greatest tag team of all time. They are so good. They're so good on like their inch, like like their 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 entrance ramp promos. They're so good at like either getting hit or getting a pop. They are, and like their in ring work is incredible. Like, their finisher, I'll get there. Their finisher is mental. But, like, yeah, there was nothing match, but they made me, like, want to like it. And also, it's funny to think that this is the same psycho PCO we have in Ring of Honor currently. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's so crazy. And did you're you, right. But like, did you pay attention to his Instagram, by the way, when he ran all the way, like, a- across Canada in three days straight without sleeping and his feet were bleeding? It's an experience. Go on his Instagram and look and look at it because it's pretty insane. And there's videos of him. Cr- he he runs from like his house to the to the um to the Olympic Stadium in Montreal, and he's just crying. It's just full on. It's, it's weird, weird to think that this is 20 years before he peaks as a wrestler, isn't it? It's so wild. <laughs> him and Jacques Rougeau had really weird career- careers where Jacques Rougeau peaked like 10 years before this. They met at this point in '96. Jacques Rougeau's over the hill. PCO doesn't hit his prime for 20 years. So the Quebecers for both of them is like a nothing period. It's weird. Re- remember when we saw PCO wrestle against Walter in um, 
in at like 2 a.m. in the morning in New Orleans and almost see PCO kill himself. It was the craziest morning of my life. Well, yeah, an infamous match for, you know, if you don't know PCO in his current form, that's the one to track down because he is a totally different person now. When his chest was blue. It was, anyway, we're getting off track. I apologize. The oldest, the oldest Ring of Honor champion there. But uh, look, while Harlem Heat did get the win here, this also led to another, can we call it a match? Because uh, the stipulation was that that um, Sister Sherry gets uh, Colonel Robert Parker in a five minute match to do whatever she wants with him, and I tell you what, one of the greatest things you will ever see. It, the match doesn't go for five minutes; it ends after about two. But Dusty Rhodes getting so excited when Sherry clotheslines uh, Colonel Parker is just she clotheslines him. She clotheslines him. It, it needs to be made into like a ringtone or something. This um, was hilarious. Like that's one of those old school wrestling <laughs> steps that always works. The female manager beating up, you know, the like pansy, you know, male manager. The old, yeah, the old white guy, like your Jim Cornette or your, you know, someone like that. Yeah, Jim Cornette ain't jumping to anybody. Oh <laughs> no, th- th- this was good. And Sherry, you know, obviously was a wrestler before becoming a manager, so this was good. But Dusty losing it. And then causing Tony Schiavone and Bobby Heenan to cry laughing when they cut back to him made this worth it. They were literally crying. It was great. Can can I quickly just rewind real quick? Because I've written, I really like writing in caps, in, in all caps. But the 450 splash leg drop as a finish from, from Booker T, incredible. Like, this is 1996 we're talking about. And someone who's like, what? 240, 250 pounds as a 450 legs, like a 450 splash leg drop. Yeah, the Harlem bonkers. Amazing. Absolutely bonkers. I love it so much. Or the Houston hangover as it was in the WWE when he used it once at WrestleMania. I can't believe he pulled it out at WrestleMania and didn't (laughs) win and then got pedigreed and lay there for 20 seconds. I still hold a grudge over that. Yeah. I think we all hold a grudge over, over Triple H over that match, but that's a different podcast. That's a completely different podcast there. But yeah, look, it led to that. It was an entertaining match. And Owen, oh, you're definitely right there. Like, the best way that I can describe Harlem Heat is they're silky smooth. Like, every so match, good, they're just, they just know everything. And I'm talking, you know, this, compare them to the Steiners, compare them to the Dudleys, like pure tag teams, even the Hart Foundation from back in the day. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to compare it to like Demolition or guys like the Road Warriors because they were just sort of brute force. But Harlem Heat, you're right. It's if if there is someone that can argue there is a better team than them, I'd love to hear what their um what their arguments would be. But anyway, and they still have the greatest uh, interest music of all time. So there yeah, we go. yeah, that argument was settled a couple months ago when I was on the show, and it <laughs> still stands today. Booker <laughs> still uses it now. That's how good it it's is. The best. It's best. such a good song. You know what's fun? It took me, I reckon, ten years before I realized that the voice in that was saying "ice cold." I had no idea. <laughs> forever, <laughs> but anyway, the simple ones rules. Another fun one. Uh, so obviously, um, the, his WWE incarnation of that theme with "Can you dig it, sucker?" at the start, segueing into the music, is the one that everyone remembers now. WCW tried that during his um, World Championship run, which just had him start off with "Don't hate the player, hate the game," and then it segued into it. But it was just <laughs> such, it didn't fire anyone up. It was just like, okay, 
good random soundbite <laughs> that was an example of how you can't take it away from the wwe sometimes they just know what will work you know he came over to wcw and they were like now nah, let's say the can you dig it sucker that'll mm. work and that were right yeah um, well, we go from that match to an ad for Starcade. Now, Owen, when you saw that little commercial, it's obviously Christmas themed, but did it hype you for Starcade at all? I was confused. <laughs> there was a very angry elf. There was a very angry Santa's elf. For no real reason, just ripping apart like turkey, just just gording it, just tearing just mm. it to shreds. It was very interesting. It, it really makes zero sense, that match. I mean, like that ad. I mean, like, I get it. It's It's... Because Starcade, obviously, in December, December's Christmas. But, Simon, did that make you go, oh, yeah, this is going to be a good wrestling pay-per-view, seeing that ad? No, I just felt bad for Santa's elves because this one is obviously, you know, living in an alley somewhere, like, smoking crack or something. I was just... (laughs) Nothing to do with wrestling. Like, if WWE ever did a promo like this, which they would do these fun, cartoony ones, they'd always have a wrestler, you know, show up at the end maybe and, like, Hmm. chokeslam him. But, no, this was just weird. Yeah, like the like their SummerSlam ad was basically them parodying the Olympics, and you know, because that was this that was what was happening at the time. But yeah, a very strange Starcade ad. Uh, we move on to our next interview segment. Mean Gene Oakland is there with Lex Luger. Simon, you've brought it up numerous times, and we have tried to convince you on just how over Lex Luger was, and you're shaking your head now. <laughs> nah, but my <laughs> my. My note for this is Luger sucks. I can't stand this guy. How is he so over? Now you're I missing don't get it. it. You're, you're missing it. See, because remember, you asked that question at Hog Wild, and he did a promo where he he sort of didn't know what to say, and he was standing in the background. But then we watched the show last month where he had his hair like um, teased Bef- out. It was like a buffon kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, and he was talking about. Um, bushes and thickets of things you've never seen and thorns growing. Yeah, and this time again, he's totally different. He's like realistic, serious athlete. He's like, yeah, man, I'm going to try my hardest and maybe I'll win. Maybe that was the appeal of Lex Luger. You just didn't know which Lex Luger you were going to get, and maybe that's what total package really meant. He could play any character and you didn't know which one he was going to be. Don't the, only appeal, the only appeal of Lex Luger was when it, whatever segment he was on finished. <laughs> no. no. Look how ripped he was. That, that was part of it too. Also, I must say, just before we... I hate more on, Le- on Lex Luger. There was a quick ad for the WCW hotline. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and I crunched some numbers and I did some, uh, some nerdy stuff which doesn't come often, so just cherish his listeners. Um, the WCW hotline was a dollar was a dollar forty nine per minute USD in nineteen ninety six. Now a dollar forty nine USD in like current like including inflation in yep. converted to Australian dollars is two dollars eighty nine cents Australian in two thousand and twenty. Per wow. minute. That's no like wonder two and a half cheeseburgers from from Maccas. No wonder he, uh, uh, Mean Gene, like was shilling that hotline so much. That was part of his <laughs> cheddar. But uh, look, uh, while we while we talk about Lex Luger quickly, do yourself a favor at the end of this podcast and look up Lex Luger versus a shirt. Where I think it was for an indie indie promotion in two thousand and three. He struggles getting a shirt off for I think it's New Championship Wrestling. <laughs> It's one of the greatest things you'll ever see. He may be the total package, but uh, his only vice is a shirt. 
uh, which didn't have sleeves too, which was interesting. Um, we move on to our next match. This is Psychosis versus Dean Malenko in what I can only be called a luchadors in the most in the most PG way. Uh, the cruiserweights give zero care about their well-being because this is another. I've, I've written this down here too. This is Dean Malenko at his peak. He oh, is yeah. treating he's treating Psychosis like he's a Bendham doll. <laughs> I've I've written two notes for this match because obviously I'm a massive Dean Malenko mark. I've just written Malenko is the best. Yes, I'm biased, but this match is great. That's all yeah. I've written. Yeah, this was pretty fun. I mean, Psychosis is one of the guys who um people look back as like one of their cult favorites. Anyone from any age, it seems, who's seen Psychosis remembers him. But one of the things about Psychosis is that he wasn't the smoothest wrestler. He wasn't Rey Mysterio or Ultimo Dragon or, you know, Dean Malenko. He was this tall, lanky guy who, like, maybe 70% of the time would hit the move right. The other 30% of the time he falls on his head. But that's part of the fun, you know? I think the smart thing about Psychosis as well is that he has that massive padded mask with the horns and all that hair because it saves him from brain damage because he just landed on his head, like, (laughs) half the time. His Peggy Bundy hair, which is a gag Bobby Heenan used again. So that's two pay-per-views so far. Wow. At this point in time, we, we you forget just how much of a huge player Dean Malenko is. We always mention this. Anytime Dean Malenko comes up, uh, we see a match here. Like, he was really like one of the WCW's most popular stars. Like, listen to how the narrative that when he got to the WWE is that, like, you know, he's got no charisma. He's got nothing like that. Look how hot the crowd is for him in every WCW pay-per-view. Someone I want to give credit for that too, in hindsight, after watching a lot of these shows, is Bobby Heenan. And if you're going to make the argument as to why Bobby Heenan is better than Jerry Lawler at being like the heel color commentator, even if you're going in the 90s, and I know we all love Jerry Lawler from the Attitude Era, Bobby Heenan is funny, but at the same time, he goes a long way to put over some of these younger and more technical wrestlers that maybe Tony Schiavone would miss. Heenan is a huge cheerleader of Dean Malenko on these pay-per-views. And even when he's making fun of guys like Rey Mysterio and using, you know, his like Mexican jokes, he puts over how good they are as athletes. So I think that's important because he told you often how good Dean Malenko was. Like when they say, oh, man of a thousand holds in this match, Heenan says, I don't believe that. I believe he knows 2000 holds. Whereas Jerry Lawler probably would laugh that off and be like, huh, there probably aren't even 20 holds that he would yeah. know. Like, yeah, I think Heenan might be, like, it's not really a hot take or anything, but he's got to be the best color commentator. And I think his 90s work doesn't get the credit it deserves. I think, yeah. I think the, only thi- the, only, the only thing that, um, that the king is talking about holding is puppies, you know? No, well, exactly. So- <laughs> and there's too much of that. <laughs> Actually, another thing with the announcing, I wanted to ask you guys a question because it came up in this match. This was a WCW trend. So Psychosis hits a leg drop at one point and he barely hits it. Normally in the WWE or other promotions, announcers would generally just cover that up and be like, oh, yeah, oh, leg drop, whatever. Tony Schiavone, this was like one of the things about his announcing that sort of annoyed me and annoys me watching it again. He would blatantly call it out like even if it kind of hit just go with it but tony shivani's like oh that didn't hit at all uh you know he missed it is that a good thing or a bad thing i like it 
I think I always have liked it, even like with like indie wrestling currently, because it because it shows that like things can go wrong, and that means that like they have to do more to get it, to get the job done. Because a lot because maybe like eight times out of ten that that like he'd lay like he'd hit that and the match would be over, but because he's missed it, he has to work harder to get the job done now. But if it's part of the storyline, shouldn't you go with it? For example, like Jeff Hardy in his prime, not now when he just lands on him with the swanton, a lot of the time he'd sort of just graze them with his neck. Now, if that was Tony Schiavone calling it, would he say, oh, he barely hit him? And then when he gets a three count, you'd be like, oh, why do you get a three count if he barely hit him? To me, it plays yeah, look, with the logic, you know? JR used to do a lot of that too, but he used to sell it in a different kind of way. Like it'd be like, oh, he barely got that. Uh, he, like this is why it's so difficult to do. Like a so, like he'd sell the reason that like you know that was it wasn't picture perfect, but he damn well got it close to it. Like he never blatantly said that never worked. Hmm. He'd somehow throw in like a bowling shoe ugly or, you know, it ain't pretty, but it hurts kind of thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think Tony Schiavone, it's the tone he does it. It almost just yeah. takes away from it. And he's like, oh, well, that guy didn't hit his moves. And yeah, I don't know. Somewhat condescending, I guess. Yeah. That, yeah. That's pretty much it. Whereas JR sort of like sells it in, in terms of like, well, I could never do that, but damn, he'd give it a good shot. Mm. Um, look, Dean Malenko gets the win here. And uh, Dean Malenko actually, you mentioned Bobby Heenan going in saying uh, just how how much of a Dean Malenko proponent he was. He actually nominates him, like, I reckon he could win World War Three kind of thing. Yeah, Which, and that was another really important thing. So coming off this match, he still says Malenko could win this main event that's coming up. I think that was a really, um, yeah, cool bit of commentary there. Also, another Cruiserweight match with a tombstone. Undertaker would be rolling in his grave if he watched this. Yeah, seeing these vanilla midgets pull out his moves with ease. And kicking out <laughs> of them. He doesn't even win with a tombstone. It ends one minute later with a roll-up, which is so funny. But anyway. But um, look, then that leads us... You go from that great match to uh, what I what I want to call an interesting match, the Outsiders versus the oh, Nasty boy. Boys. Oh, and boy. you might even... You could forget that the Faces of Fear are actually here because the Nasty Boys actually come out and take out the Outsiders before the Faces of Fear make their entrance. But uh, I've written this one down as a beat the crap out of each other match because it just looked like who could deliver more potatoes left, right and center. It was just yeah. chaotic. I don't know what was going on. Was it, was it just... Because we all know what the Nasty Boys are like. We all know what the Outsiders are like. And we all know <laughs> what the Faces of Fear are like. So was this just a who can stiff the other guy the worst sort of match? Owen, what did you reckon? I, my, my first note was what the hell was that start? Hot start before the third team gets into the ring and the bell just rings. Like I was, there was just an absolute mess. Um, Ming rules, his mallet rules. Shout out to the Twitter account, Ming's mullet. It's amazing. <laughs> um, was Jimmy Hart wearing a Misfits jacket? That was I my thought, next. I thought that. He did. He had the Misfits logo on, on the back. Yeah. Um, 96 Nash is peak Nash. Mm-hmm. Apart from um, current 2020 era anti-Trump, anti-fascist Nash. One of yeah, real favorite. woke Nash. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Um, and my favorite, my favorite commentary of the night was right near the end of the match. Oh, no, about like two thirds of the way in someone like, like one of the nasty boys punched it out. One of the outsiders in the stomach and all dusty Rhodes goes is right in the belly. Well, I popped <laughs> so much for it. It was the best. 
Um, the double tag to the outsiders was brilliant. I thought it was like the only thing that made sense in that match. And then they just kind of, but that, that's how the match should have finished. Like they should have ended it like that. Then like a quick, like have Nick Patrick, Patrick as the ref and do a quick count and then it should be over. But that was like, oh, that was all that was good with that match. That little like double tag to them. It was good. That's yeah, this was, def- this was definitely a car crash match. Uh, but uh, one thing I do want to point out is like, this is motivated outsiders. Like this is Kevin Nash and Scott Hall bringing their work shoes. And Simon, this is something that was very rare. And if you tell people now that, you know, you should go and check out the early outsiders matches, they probably wouldn't believe, they probably wouldn't believe you. I was thinking that while watching this too, every match we've seen on a WCW pay-per-view featuring the Outsiders has been really good, very entertaining, whether it's a good match or just a really good like uh, match to bring the crowd in. These guys knew what they were doing and how unselfish were they in a way? I know you can say, oh, they took over the company and beat up you know 50 people at a time. These guys came over from the, the WWF as main eventers. Kevin Nash was a former multiple-time world champion and instead of being, you know, main event singles, they were tag wrestlers. This yep. first year of the Outsiders is really underrated for their match quality on pay-per-view and, and even on Nitro. These guys were great. You can't argue it. I think Nash doesn't get enough credit. This was his peak as a wrestler. Also, his peak tan. My God, how brown was Kevin <laughs> Nash in this? He looked amazing. Um, I did a bit of research because I think like you guys, I thought there was something a little bit off in how messy and stiff this match was, there was some drama going on with the Nasty Boys and the Outsiders. Jerry Sags, like, got clocked for real with a chair by one of the Outsiders. He thought they did it on purpose. Then he returned fire a few months later with, like, real shots to Hall's face. So there was a whole bunch of stuff going on. The Nasty Boys end up getting fired because of the retaliation from this era. But anyway, it's a whole thing. Um yeah, this those match at, is worth watching as a car crash. For those at home, if you don't think that there is actually some animosity between the uh, the Nasty Boys and the Outsiders, uh, Kevin Nash knows how to do a powerbomb. Yeah, I don't <laughs> think he cared about that one on uh, on Nobs. <laughs> I thought that too. That was a brutal powerbomb. <laughs> the, the ending, though, got a huge reaction. I think, yeah, this match was a mess, but it's entertaining in that, you know, good sort of, yeah, unscripted looking way. Bowling shoe ugly, I believe, Jerry. Uh, um, Jim Ross would call it. Yep. But you want to talk about uh, unscripted and ugly matches. <laughs> now we get into uh, the main event, World War Three, where we even need to split up the commentary team. So at ring three, we've got Larry Zabisco and Lee Marshall. Ring number one, it's weird how they went in 3-1-2. <laughs> they just didn't nail 1-2-3. But ring number one, we had Mike Tanay and Dusty Rhodes. And ring number two had Tony Schiavone and Bobby the Brain Heenan. Um, the- shout out to our friend Andrew Rhodes and Moustache Man made a return. Mm, that's right. The great, the great <laughs> Moustache Man, Tony the Tiger, is back. <laughs> so, <laughs> I forgot about that one. and sadly Uh, after a whole pay-per-view larry zabisco and mike tanay are also back which sucks but (laughs) i'll get to use zabisco (laughs) (laughs) but uh, so this match starts off with what i like to call the andre the giant battle royal entrance where everyone (laughs) just sort of walks out um and then we get into the dungeon of doom taking on the horsemen as 
we get into the WCW split screen where all three are kind of like our Zoom call right now. Uh, they really are. They, <laughs> w, WCW, in, you, you heard it here first, kids. WCW invented Zoom. <laughs> and here's the thing. It's very hard to figure out what's going on because you're first you're on a four by three monitor. You've got three, you've got sixty men in the rings, and the commentators talk over each other as well. It's like my my oh, and because I'm assuming this is your first World War Three match. What did you think yep. of this one? Um, well, I wrote a note for the ent- for the uh, Andre the Giant entrance, as you so nicely called it. Um, there are some real jobber looking jobbers in this in this lot, like. Oh my god! There was some like like when you rock up to a really shit indie show in the middle of nowhere, and there's just like guys in jeans and a ripped t-shirt, mm-hmm. or like a, there was a guy wearing like a hockey sweater. I'm like, come on, man, do better. Um, like the random I just bought this off Highspots.com because I found out <laughs> I was wrestling tonight. Yeah, it's it's usually like the um the yin and yang uh, logo on a. On, on tights. Um, I just wrote, ha, Mongo, because, you know, Mongo. <laughs> what about um, the commentators putting over how Mongo has an advantage because of his great balance from being a football player? If there's yeah. one thing Mongo isn't known for, it's his balance. His balance! Um, I love how like how Bobby Hinton was like, oh, yes, Mongo from pro football. <laughs> yeah. Where's pro football? Is that like pro football Michigan or pro football Florida? Is that a town? I don't know. I feel like that was a, a little subtle dig, like sort of saying from pro football, like who cares? That was weird. Um, I pretty much just write this like numerous times. I can't pay attention. I'm so lost. It's just too much going on. It's really hard to keep track. And Simon, did you f- went because there was no narrative in this. It's just like, it's a sea of people. It's hard enough to pay attention in a Royal Rumble match. Times it by three on a screen that is a third of the size. That's even worse. Yeah, I think, look, if we're comparing World War Three to the Royal Rumble, it's no competition at all. Royal Rumble wins because a Royal Rumble is better than one battle royal. Three battle royals doesn't make it better. It makes it worse. If someone hasn't watched this kind of match and they're only hearing this podcast, open up a Zoom call with two of your friends and all of you stream a battle royal on each screen and then try and watch it. Try and watch it with, <laughs> with three commentary teams. That is what WCW thought you would want to see. I zoned out at so many points of this match because I was like, what is going on? I'm pretty sure I went to make lunch at one stage. I'm like, oh, I'll miss nothing. and came back and I missed nothing. You missed nothing. Look, let's um, be honest. The fun of the Royal Rumble is the entrances. The fact mm. that you get like three rings full at once takes away all the fun. The only good thing in this match was when the NWO all stood in one quarter and did nothing for like 10 yeah. minutes. That was kind of <laughs> cool. I actually really liked that. But aside from that, this was just the most garbage thing I've seen in a wrestling ring. Or three wrestling rings. <laughs> did you guys notice there was one bit that stood out to me? I don't know what happened. But Disco oh. Inferno turned his back to Rey Mysterio and Rey Mysterio punched him in the back of the head like he owed him money and then mounted him <laughs> from the back and just beat up Disco. I don't know what Did you see? The first, so he he did hit the punch behind the back of the head, but the first punch he missed and Disco sold it. <laughs> what happened? He missed Wild. by like 
a good 20 centimeters and Disco sold it. I howled. It was so good. This was like when you mentioned, uh, you know, the highlight art, I thought you were going to talk about Lee Marshall being taken out at ringside. (laughs) (laughs) Because Larry Zabisco is losing his mind. Larry Zabisco is acting like he's just been in a car accident and he wants someone to call 911. Also, does Larry Zabisco just yell all the time? Because, oh my God, I had to turn the TV volume down. I'm like, can you just, just, you know, this, please? Larry has two levels indignant rage. And condescending, like prick, <laughs> and they're so extreme and so irritating. He's my least favorite commentator of this whole era. Wait, more than today? More than yeah, possibly. He's wow. more damaging. He adds nothing. Yeah. He just hates everything. And the worst part too is during the early stages of the NWO, he's trying his absolute hardest to put over the phrase "New World Odor." Like he, (laughs) 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 he's absolutely like shoehorning in, trying as best as he can to do that. Growing up as a WWE fan as well, I was going to say with um Larry Zbysko not watching WCW as a kid, when they would call him the living legend, I was like, are they taking the piss? Who is this guy? He just looks (laughs) like, you know, my uncle or something. It always annoyed me. Because he never, because you're right, because like, and it was always in the, those nine, the first thing we said, like, oh, I'm Mike Tanay, da, 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 and the living legend, Larry Zabisco, like, what have you ever done, mate? You're wearing a dress (laughs) shirt from, from David Jones and (laughs) it's just not working. Yeah. So Um, I have, I have one more note. I guess one more kind of main note that I know will pop you guys. And I'll throw it back to the last episode I was on. Good to see Ice Train and Scott Norton are still feuding. <laughs> because they just Never worked ends. each other the entire match. They were just going, all right, brother, just go forearm, forearm, <laughs> throw me into the ropes, and we just work each other for the entire match. It was great. And I popped for it. My other favorite one, too. And I thought you were going to bring this up because it's brought up by commentary. And it says... There is a lot going on in this match, as we mentioned. You know, Scott Norton is carrying on with his feud. We've seen the NWO actually sticking to their sort of roots and not doing anything. But there's a part where Lex Luger eliminates high-voltage chaos. Now, the first thing I thought was, oh, good on Lex Luger. And secondly was, who the hell is high-voltage chaos? (laughs) It was Kenny (laughs) Chaos from the team High Voltage. His, uh, wow, what was his partner's name? Robbie That's Rage. I mean. It was Robbie Rage and Kenny Chaos. <laughs> so, yeah, there was the weird one. And then finally, when everything just... Because how long did that, that battle roll go to in split screen before it finally gets to one screen? It's more than 30 minutes, isn't it? I don't it's think probably, this match even went 30 minutes. It just felt the like match it went did. about 23. It just felt <laughs> yeah, like forever. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um. <laughs> A couple of things toward the end of the match I loved was Eddie Guerrero just wiping out a photographer, just <laughs> a bl- just blitzing him when he got eliminated. Like he just crashed the photographer, photographer went flying into the next state. Um, and then Ray just getting launched by like one handed, just launched like a shot put out of the ring. Big pop. One guy so who stood out to me, who I have no memory of, Big Ron Stud, and I had to do research. This was the guy who played the Yeti, who was actually a mummy, but they called him the Yeti. But they yep. tried making it out that he was Big Ron Stud, like Big John Stud. Surely they were planning Big Ron Stud versus, you know, the giant who was billed as Andre the Giant's son. And then they just gave up on everything. 
Yeah, well, the entire Dungeon of Doom era sort of seemed like they had a long-term plan. And they stuck with that long-term plan for a bit before they realized, I don't think this is working. We're going to have to regroup here. <laughs> yeah. And it, it, it sort of got to the bit where they, when they, like, I don't know, salvaged it by adding Conan to the mix. And, and then Conan left and joined the NWO as well. So yeah. it was all over. But look, we finally um, get to... Oh, yeah, sorry, going on. I was going to say, I still don't get the hype for Luger. <laughs> but, okay, can, this is some character development for me. Okay, get excited. Um, my next note, a little like a little, a little uh, tab across. Okay, him getting giant on his shoulders was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. See, I'm learning. Oh. Sort of understand, but I'm learning. If you've never seen when he actually gets him up in the middle of the ring and torture racks him, man, the crowd loses their minds. So I pop for that. I still don't understand, but I pop for it. Very strange, though, that Lex Luger, in a match where your objective is to throw people over the top rope, starts doing submission holds uh, in the middle <laughs> of the ring. Uh, but Stop the final torturing them. Yeah, especially since like he's already like been a joint winner of the Royal Rumble, so he clearly doesn't know how to work <laughs> in battle royals. <laughs> what if I roll out with you? What if I make you tap out? And they're like, Lex, you throw them out. Not him. <laughs> None of this works. <laughs> Over top, simple <laughs> as that. I can't explain the rules logically. <laughs> so the final ten that we have is um, the giant Kevin Nash, Scott Hall, six, um, which is the W, which is the NWO side. Then the WCW side is Jeff Jarrett, Rey Mysterio, Lex Luger, Lord Stephen Regal, Eddie, Eddie Guerrero, and DDP just sort of hovers in the middle there. Mm. I like that. I really like that. To be fair, the last like five to seven minutes of this are very exciting with the full NWO team left and a few WCW guys whittled down to just Lex Luger. Again, we can't explain Lex Luger, but the crowd reaction is there and it's worth putting him in this spot because they love it. 1996 loves Lex Luger. Yeah. Yeah. For some strange reason. But yeah, he's unbelievably over here. Oh, and you get to see the little chicken chicken dance the thing that chicken he does. Dance. Like, and it almost looks the crowd... It's, it's a very logical ending because Lex Luger has a chance to win, but it's dastardly NWO antics that cause him to lose. Yes. So the Giant ends up uh, getting the win there, and that's about it, really. <laughs> I did, all I wrote was shit finish. The finish sucked. Mm. But <laughs> yeah, I wrote crowd is very flat. Like there really is something about when you're on a big pay-per-view like this, sometimes the good guy just has to win. Having it end with the NWO with the advantage and then just winning, the crowd wasn't even angry. It wasn't WCW throw garbage in the ring. Everyone was just like, oh, I guess it's over. It was very strange. You know, I reckon you're right there because so much of the point that this pay-per-view doesn't actually last the full three hours and immediately after, it's just like, oh, well, the giant wins. He's going to take on Hulk Hogan at some point in time. We're out of time, folks. Thanks for joining us. They don't even go back to the commentators to do a little wrap-up. It's just roll the credits. Yeah, this was not a good ending to a show. Um, Couldn't have ended on a worse note, basically, from the crowd peaking, you know, three minutes earlier, basically, to just wah, wah, wah. And poor Bobby (laughs) Heenan having to sell this and saying, this is the greatest tape of view I've ever seen in my life. You liar. 
he sold his soul there just a little bit. But yeah, yeah. that wraps up uh, World War Three. It's interesting to look at because it's also one of the funny things that uh, my partner Steph pointed out at the start of it was Tony Schiavone welcomes you to the second ever World War Three. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> which, which is beyond silly. But look, this was the t- this was obviously this is WCW's answer to the Royal Rumble. Owen, after sitting through the first World War Three pay per view that you've seen, your initial thoughts? I'm still confused. <laughs> um, <laughs> under that. It was not the best. It wasn't a very good show. It it really wasn't. There was some. There was some glimmers of hope. Um, me being biased, I was. Uh, the two junior matches were great, mm-hmm. but um, aside from that, there wasn't much. Also, Ric Flair just being off his chops. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, the the, the World War Three match itself was just so confusing, and I wasn't too sure about it. I think Simon summed it up really well when he said, get a Zoom call with two of your mates and all of you stream a different Battle Royal or a Royal Rumble, and that's the exact same thing. In in the grand scheme of things, it does advance the story a little bit. We're going to see our first NWO versus NWO sort of match, but uh, aside from that, Simon, there's not a lot to take from this pay-per-view, is there? This might be the worst WCW event of 1996. Or at least of the, you know, um, post-NWO era. This was terrible. And I hope I never have to watch it again. I went through my (laughs) WWE Network thing and it said that I had previously watched this. So I must have watched it when I was watching Nitros from this era back. Please don't make me watch this pay-per-view ever again in my life. And thank God we don't have another World War Three match to watch for another year. So... Well, oh that's disappointing because my next podcast idea <laughs> was just to watch this this pay-per-view for every week for a year. <laughs> World War Three, nineteen ninety-six, every week. God, yeah, I episode hope not. one to fifty-two. Yeah. What's, what's funny is what's funny is too. Oh, and I actually looked up how long that W that uh, World War Three match went for. It's, you're right; it is twenty-eight minutes. The first bit where it's the, the, the three screens, feels like it drags on for about 45. It felt it's, like the first five hours of a six-hour WrestleMania. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it is just absolutely crazy. But look, we always do this, but uh, who do you think is the MVP of the pay-per-view? We can't say Mean Gene because he's normally the... the uh, we want to know who the working uh, um, MVP of the pay-per-view is. We'll start off with you, Owen. Harlem Heat because I'm biased. Um, but they actually made me care about that um, that match, or De Malenko. Either of those two kind of take the cake for me. Mm-hmm. What I about think, you, Simon? Like, oh, sorry, go on. No, I was gonna say I think with like Malenko, it's just as you guys said, like he he was just so damn good, and like yeah, like and and as like as Bobby Heenan said, like he like he was his pick to win the whole um, sixty man rumble, like. I know, like he was, he was just so good in that match as well. So that's why he's definitely my MVP. What are you Simon? For me, I'm going to go for the non wrestlers because there, you know, there were some okay in ring highlights. But between Nick Patrick, Sherry Martel, and Colonel Robert Parker, 
neither of those were like, you know, full-time wrestlers at this point, And they get some of the biggest reactions on the show just by being over the top and having these brawls and the crowd loves it. So in a pay-per-view that doesn't have too many highlights, I'm going to give it to them because for whatever reason, the non-wrestlers got to shine on this show. Now, I did absolutely crap on this beforehand, uh, the contract signing, but you got to, I've got to say that Rowdy Roddy Piper really was a big injection into the NWO storyline so because they always bring up that this, he was also the first guy. And to WCW's detriment, though, he's also an outside guy they've had to bring in to take down the NWO. He was the only person that was seen on level footing with the NWO that would stand up to the NWO. Sting was made to look like a chump. The, all of the horsemen were made to look like chumps up against the NWO. But Rowdy Roddy Piper actually makes you think there is a chance that WCW has an ace in the hole and it makes you excited for the next pay-per-view where he takes on Hogan. We'll get to that. He may not look like a chump, but he sure looks like an idiot come Stargate. And we will absolutely get to that, um, which I cannot wait for. I got to say on Hot Rod, one thing, did you guys notice, does Roddy Piper have like a flea market t-shirt screen printer mate or something? He's got a no fear t-shirt in Hot Rod text. And on the back, it's got Tasmanian Devil. They're two corporations that this guy has ripped off for a bootleg T-shirt and he's wearing it on national TV. I don't know who Roddy Piper knows to just do that, but so funny. He's probably, probably, he probably owns a store at Queen Vic Market. I was just about to say, he's probably like, oh, I need a shirt for tonight. Yeah, that one will do. And then, and then on, on his journey in, he left it in his car in a hot day. Uh, that's, that's how it's ended up to fade. But look, all in all, we're going to see how this pay-per-view sticks, uh, stacks up against WWE's or WWF's November offering, which is, of course, Survivor Series 1996. Uh, spoiler alert, I think I know which is going to be the superior um, November pay-per-view in this edition of Reliving the War. But you know what? At the end of the day, it was a lot of fun to watch this. And it's this would be the sort of pay-per-view that you wouldn't definitely go out to watch when you feel like, hey, you know what? I feel like uh, some good wrestling tonight. Definitely not this one. Plenty of other good WCW pay-per-views, but it's interesting to have this one in the books because it is kind of historical, oh. isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. For the historical standpoint, if you've never seen a World War Three, watch this one if you want. They're all basically the same match. Um, They're literally all the same. <laughs> Nothing in terms changes. of comparing pay-per-views, I'll just give a little preview, not a spoiler, but Survivor Series 1996, WCW might have thought we're killing them in the war. We've got the biggest stars, World War Three. We set the stage for so many big things. Survivor Series 1996, in hindsight, ends up being one of the most important turning points for the WWF. And if we're talking just straight up match quality, I'll say without having rewatched it yet for the purpose of this show, the triple main event of Survivor Series 96 blows everything on this pay-per-view out of the water and I'm very excited for it. That's even taking into account that it also features fake Diesel and fake Razor as well. But uh, that's that's for another episode. I, as always, Owen, we really love getting you on board the WCW pay-per-views, man. If you'd like to follow Owen on the social media, it's very easy to do so. Digital underscore underscore beard 
on Twitter. Check him out on uh, on Facebook as well, Digital Beard Photography, and of course on the gram, Digital underscore Beard. You can check it out. Uh, I know the bio says Melbourne's okayest photographer, but he's very very top notch when it comes to it. And also, while you're subscribing to many podcasts, if you're a music fan, and I know that you are because you're listening to us on the Grey Wolf Wrestling Network. Check out the Ultimate Album Podcast where there are plenty of bands to get through and there's an incredible back catalogue there too, Owen. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, yes, I've taken a couple of weeks off to that due to just personal reasons and also because I just wanted to week off. Me and Simon have a couple of episodes to record. One will make people angry. One will probably go for about four days. Um, and, and yes, on my Instagram, I'm currently putting myself through six months of hell. I've told, I've challenged myself to upload a new photo. I've taken on my camera every day for six months. So if you want to see me have a mental breakdown, follow me on Instagram. It'd be a good time. <laughs> but man, look, it's been a great pleasure to have you on board. And uh, Simon, we've got a fun pay-per-view to check out next. Check out the full archives of Grey Wolf Wrestling, greywolfentertainment.net. Check out our Facebook page too, Grey Wolf ENT on Facebook. There's a cool competition where you can win a exclusive Grey Wolf Wrestling pack. So make sure you like, share, and subscribe. You can follow me on the social media at Doc Nims. You can follow Simon at Simon Tackler. But yeah, Simon, just talking about Survivor Series 96, oh, it's it's already getting me uh, getting me all worked up for it. Yep. Shawn Michaels versus Sid in the main event. This is in Madison Square Garden. You've got Bret Hart versus Steve Austin. Mankind versus The Undertaker, and let's not forget the debut of the most electrifying man in sports and entertainment, The Rock. It's huge. He's a blue chipper. We absolutely love him. <laughs> but uh, that, that wraps up Reliving the War. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time for Survivor Series. This has been another presentation from the Grey Wolf Entertainment Network, greywolfentertainment.net.